Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, a bunch of years ago on the programme, we had Anatomy of a Song, the oral history of 45 iconic hits, and lo and behold, comes 55 more. Mark Myers, how are you, Mark? Are you well? Yes, good, good, good. Good, good to be with you. I oh. wish I were there in person. It's so no, beautiful there. No, you wouldn't. It's very cold. Um, anyway, um, Anatomy of 55 More Songs, basically. It's um, the oral history of 55 hits that changed rock and R&B and soul, etc. So let's take a look at this. First things is, of the 55 here, how many did you have to get in touch with and did you couldn't get to somebody or they said no? Did you try 100? <laughs> No. Um, in every case where I wanted to do a specific song, um, I was able to get the the writer and musicians who were responsible for that song. The great thing about this book, which you know, I wanted to get your get your opinion or your take on it. I mean, it 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 almost it reads like a jukebox, right? You can go in at any point and read a song on page eighty nine or jump to page fifteen. You don't have to sort of you know read through it the way you would a traditional book. Absolutely. It's all about jumping in, frankly. That's really what it is. But it is an oral history. It's a musical analysis. It's, as you say, the anatomy of a song. And you get the emotions and the technique and the creation behind it and the inspiration and even the recording techniques as well. So the songs you picked, I'm going to assume it's probably a question of both, i.e. their importance and the fact that you love them. Yeah, the the, the choosing of the song is, is rather important because what you want Imagine we're at a party and imagine I put on stuff that everybody knows to death and they don't want to hear it. You're just going to hear a big groan. So if I were going after songs, no matter how big the artist, and it was just what I would call a pedestrian choice, the reader or the people at the party are going to roll their eyes. But if I choose a song that people haven't heard in a while and it's really it sounds even better than it did before. Then there's, oh, wow, I love this song. I love this song. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for choices, song choices, that people would say, oh, I remember that song. God, I I, 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 I want to know the story behind it. That's so cool. That's the reaction I'm shooting for in the song choices. And it's a lot harder than one thinks. Okay, well then let's take a look at this bit then. Um, would you like people to read this and then listen to the song again and kind of reacquaint themselves with it? Or would you like them to listen to the song first and then read about it? I've got a third choice for you. Are you ready? Same time. <laughs> All right. If, if exactly, if you go to my book site, which is markmyers.com, which just shows the books, but I also included there a Spotify playlist yeah. of all 55 songs in order. And I also estimated that it takes about three minutes or so to read each of these song, song chapters. So basically, if you kept pace, you could start with walk on by and go straight through to Sheryl Crow without missing a beat. So all the songs are there. You can yeah. listen literally while you're reading. And it, that is the most exciting experience, to be honest. OK, and as you say, Sheryl Crow, that's where it goes to. It's basically 60s right up to, like the, as you say, Sheryl Crow to about 96. 1995. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you say, that's, that's where I stopped on purpose. Yeah. OK, that's that. We're obviously, I'm sure we're going to get another 55 someday, are we? Well, hopefully, you know, you never know. You never know. You know, people move on to other things. But I stopped at 1995 because this is sort of like a Hall of Fame kind of thing, this book. In other words, if 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 I just did songs that were out yesterday or a year ago, 
it's not i think these songs are iconic they're yeah, timeless yeah. all 55 of them and sometimes you know you can think something is really the most amazing thing you've ever heard and then four years later you sort of look at the song and you say what was i even thinking yeah no, so i wanted to give it like 25 years to sort of you know if it if it if it can if it can last and make you feel if it can raise the hairs on your arm you know 25 years later then it's good for life that yeah, was my exactly opinion. okay so what we're talking here is like everything from Creedence Clearwater Revival from Bad Moon Rising and as you mentioned Dionne Warwick Walk On By uh, Good Vibrations Paranoid from Black Sabbath is there Rocket Man is there from Elton John with um, Bernie Taupin talking to you Joan Jett is there with Bad Reputation that was an interesting one actually and Elvis Costello and Ozzy Osbourne and loads more okay so you know um, Carly Simon which I thought was quite interesting too the Roxy Music one too I was hoping you would have picked a different song I definitely wanted, <laughs> I wanted earlier Roxy in fact of everything there there's a few I've never heard I wouldn't have known I've heard of Redbone and know a little bit about them but I certainly didn't know the song but let's just take a look then at a few bits and pieces of what you've done you've given about yeah. sort of seven or eight pages or whatever it is of just the thing behind each song you've talked to all the people involved that need to be talked to and what we get is like everything as I mentioned earlier on the creative aspect the kind of um, inspiration the recording techniques is there do you think a cultural and sociological history as well you know, with, without actually planning it that way. Did that kind of come through to you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you say that because when you line this up, you know, when you put them in chronological order and you start to see that different forms of music, different genres of rock are coming and going, and you put these in order, you start to see that all of these all of these artists play a different chapter role in the history of this music, yeah. that this music yeah. actually has a history and it evolves. Um, uh, the other thing is with this, with you know, by doing it as an oral history, meaning, you know, for your listener, um, that the that you're reading the words of the people. So I think when you sort of read Elvis Costello, you're you're you the reader gets a feeling like he's talking to them. You're you're listening to his words. I, I interviewed him, then took his words and created a narrative. So. In addition to this being this 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 history this this history from the early '60s to the mid '90s, you're getting these intimate one-on-ones with these artists. You're getting to hear how they spoke to me and the words they choose they they chose and the feeling that they had. And to me, that's the extra bonus. It's yeah, but it's that intimacy. Yeah, but before all that, you also contextualize everything very clear, very concise, to the point. Oh, and then, thank you so much. Well, after, yeah. after that, it's up to what you say, i.e. it's up to the artists. So um, just, you know, the, the, like for instance, there's a few things that came through to me. One of the things was actually that uh, love songs, the women who had love songs written about them, they didn't seem to know that it was written about them. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, in, in many cases, um, that's true. Donovan was tr that's true about Donovan, mm. uh, Sunshine Superman. That was true about 10 CC, yeah. I'm Not in Love. Uh, that is that's a really interesting insight. Um, and in some ways, uh, one suspects, well, there were different motives, right? Donovan wanted to sort of lure his girlfriend back. Uh, and then uh, at the end, I don't want to give anything away, but it there is a happy ending at the end of that yeah, um at is. the end of that chapter yeah, yeah. Uh, and that happened due to fate it didn't happen because the song the song drew her back so and you touch on something really interesting because what i wanted to do with each of these is create a song within a song and what i mean by that is it's it it would have been thoroughly boring it would have been like pouring gravel if i just took their words and just emptied them out, backed up the truck and emptied all those words out on paper. 
what I tried to create is this story. Each of these I created, I, in other words, I interviewed for the information, but then I turned it mm. into a story yeah. so that there's like this song about the song. And the song is is literal. You can read it. Uh, but there's an emotional quality coming yeah. off of that interview that wasn't in the song. It's in my telling of the story. Yeah, it's funny you should say you can read it because one of the other things that came through to me is the amount of people who have to say that they can't read music. Not that that matters in terms of pop music as far as I'm concerned, but also that the big hit sometimes has been an afterthought. Like people finish an album or something, oh God, we better write a hit record in the next five minutes. And they do. And like there they are, the most iconic of all. You know, like the Hollies, for yeah. example, uh, cool woman, uh, tall woman in a cool dress, which I the title I can never get off the top of my head yeah, correctly, yeah, but yeah. you get the picture. But yeah. yeah, you're right. It's like and Paranoid also, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, that Paranoid was written because they needed an extra song to fill the album out. And uh, in many cases, uh, that's interesting insight. Um, that last lap around the track, that last effort winds up being probably because it has to be done quickly, probably because they're just cutting to the chase and there's a minimalist approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, they wind up with something that is much more intelligible to our emotions than if they sat there for a year, you know, for a year working on a song. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the thing that's most electrifying is the the impromptu or accidental thing. Yeah, exactly. Which, By the way, we are talking about Anatomy of 55 More Songs, the oral history of 55 hits that changed rock and R&B and soul. And uh, Mark Myers is the man who put it all together. Now, Mark, just a few other things too, a few other things I learned. I never knew the Doobie Brothers were called Pud. Uh, also, Carly Simon, um, she thought Marvin Hamlish was her tax attorney, which I quite like that one. And seriously, Al Stewart, are you telling me that, um, what do you call it, um, Year of the Cat was actually called Horse of the Year? There, there were there were nine influences to that song. He he talked about nine different influences yeah. um, as to how that song came about, um, and that's the interesting thing. You know, when you when you dig down into this stuff um, and you start to sort of, you know, push and you push and you ask dumb questions and and the artist sort of suddenly coughs up something really fascinating. You know, with Carly Simon, um, nobody does it better. Um, she, you know, she. She knew that Marvin Hamlish was going to come over and play it for her at her house on Central Park West in New York, but she never met him, never saw a picture of him. She was just told that he wrote the music. And she also had an appointment with her tax attorney yeah. who was going to come over, her new tax attorney, and she never met him. She only spoke with him over the phone. So she, the tea is boiling and the doorbell, the doorman sends the guy up and he she opens the door and she goes you know make yourself at home just finishing the tea yeah. and she how much looked like a tax attorney you know very stiff with a suit and a white shirt and she goes in the kitchen she's preparing putting the tea in the cup and putting the milk in and everything and suddenly she hears the piano playing and she goes wow that tax attorney is good <laughs> and she comes in the living room and it's like she's wondering why the tax attorney is playing the piano until obviously the the, the so-called yeah. tax attorney says it's marv i'm marvin hamlish yeah right and the penny drops indeed okay and martha reeves i, I she was an administrative um, uh, assistant uh, at Hitsville um, in Detroit, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, um, you know, she's there and she does dancing in the street, but they didn't record it properly. And her anger of not recording it or not having the microphones on it is the, is, is the voice, the power that we know, because that was the next version. Yeah, and that, you know, that's true of also Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach was notorious um, for, you know, asking for like 35 takes or something. I mean, we saw what happened 
you know, if you go onto YouTube, you can see Scylla Black, you know, on her 38th attempt at Alfie uh, on a video clip where her eyes are almost rolling up in her head that she has to sing so so many takes. Uh, but, you know, when I once asked Bert about that, you know, why is it that that you ask for so many takes? And he goes, well, sometimes it's an orchestra mistake and sometimes I want something a little better. Um, and I said, but you're also pushing the artist way out on the ledge. I mean, you almost want them you know, at, at wit's end, he goes, I do tend to get the best results when that's the case. So uh, sometimes these multiple takes um, work out uh, for the best for a song. And in the case of Martha and the Vandellas, um, there's there's an element of, of anger that they didn't capture the first take. And th there's a sort of a, I'll show you in her voice that winds up giving that song more propulsion, yeah. don't you think? No, exactly. That's the point. And that point comes through. And I, I certainly never knew anything about that um, beforehand. That is, Todd, Rundgren, of course, hello, it's me. Wait a minute, there was one or two I wanted to mention, which I quite liked. I didn't know much about. Yeah, when you mentioned, is it, who was who was the, the, the third grade music teacher? Oh, that was um, who we just mentioned, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. The good thing is, you know, as, you're, as we're pointing out, this book is is filled uh, filled isn't even the right word it is loaded loaded with things like this these yeah. what i call these wow moments every turn every one of these songs has two or three wow i didn't know that i mean one of the biggest wows is you know on 10 cc's i'm not in love i always wanted to know who how did they get somebody and why did they get somebody to sing be quiet. Oh yeah, boys. big boys don't cry. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was always what a great touch. I thought that was. Yeah. It was just such a strange, sort of surreal, sort of dreamlike thing that happens. And I kept asking, and I kept asking, and it, I finally found out that it was the receptionist that they pulled the receptionist right. in because she had, she had popped into the studio while they were talking amongst each other, and she whispered that somebody was on the phone. And when that when she left to go back to her desk, they all looked at each other and they said we got to get that voice on this on this on this oh, song yeah. and then they bring her in and she's the one who puts that on there and you've I mean, an irish a, you, a, you've an irish one in there as well um obviously thin lizzie and the boys are back in town etc oh, scott isn't that garham a great song? yeah and but scott garham talks about it a lot and uh, he says like he went to a, I think that he went to an audition and Philo had already got a new guitarist for the one that had left. In other words, Brian Robertson was in. So then, you know, what do you call it? Scott goes, oh, well, then you don't need me. No, actually, I want two guitars. But the reason he wanted two guitars was he was afraid that one of the, one of the guitars would leave. And then the two guitar sound was the big sound. Of it's, it, yeah, it's, it's like a guy or a girl having two boyfriends or two girl, you know, or two girl, two girlfriends or two boyfriends. Not because they, you know, want many many cut many partners but because if they get dumped by one they'll have another i mean basically you know phil wanted he 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 was jilted by a guitarist you know left in the lurch phil Lennon, and he decided let me hire two guitarists because yeah. if one jumps i've still got another one i can still keep playing we can still keep moving forward funny right and it was the twin guitar sound then that made them okay so um in general, Mark, who gave the most to you? Who were you most happy with when either you put the phone down or left somebody's house? Wow. Um, it, I mean, they're all, all of them. I, you know, I, you I, can't I, say I, that. You're not allowed to say that. I know. I know. No, no. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm running my finger through the bin of the records trying to find the record. You know, I, I think Donald Fagan on Peg. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, from Steve Asia Dan, was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Bernie, Bernie Taupin on Rocket Man. Yeah, he is good. Um, you know, yeah. I, I flew out to interview him one-on-one uh, -on -one and we spent about an hour uh, on that song. And, 
you know, it was fascinating to hear how those lyrics came together with him in front of me and with his sound. Um, and I think in, in most of these cases, the the artist, you know, at first is sort of just skimming the surface. But the more I the, I'm so well researched when I go in on this, I have to know everything that everybody knows before doing this interview, because I have to know where to push further. I always go beyond what everybody knows. Otherwise, I'm writing a wiki entry, right? So it's like, I have to go beyond. That means I have to know everything and I have to know where to push further. You know, so, you know, even with Donovan, you know, to get all that detail, that that granular stuff about, you know, getting high in the living room at, in, in his flat in London and, and the girlfriend and the Brian Jones story. Yeah. Th this this book is so fat with stuff. I mean, I just amazed when I put the whole thing together, when I started to read this from cover from one cover well, to the yeah, other. I've said before, you know, this is kind of the music of the time when people would sort of invite people over to people's houses to stare for ages at the speakers. Like it's a different world that we live in these days with the, and, you know, it, this was an yeah, era. Yeah, music is, music is background today. It's for the gym, yeah, it's for the yeah, car, yeah. it's for while you're so working. This was an era then yeah, with fewer I, distractions. So the point about it is, overall, mm -hmm. looking at it all, did the music shape the culture or did the culture shape the music? I think it's an exchange. I think it's it's synergistic. I think they work together. I think uh, artists are always looking. I mean, what's driving everything is the desire by artists to be stars. And what that means is that they are constantly trying to come up with a hit and not just a little hit, but a really big hit and a hit that doesn't leave the, the charts for a while, yeah. both for money and both for fame. And I think what the, you know, the only way you can create a hit at any given point in time is if you're tapped in to what the zeitgeist is all about. Um, I, you know, Taylor Swift, I, you know, I don't know what all the fuss is. You know, it's she's not my generation. I'm a bit older. But but look at how many people I mean, 3.5 billion billion yeah. ticket mm -hmm. requests. Yeah. For for that concert, that world tour, <laughs> so you know it's impossible. So, so there's something about what she does. Yeah, it's a secret sauce that she has tapped into an entire. She has tapped into not only an American generation of girls, but a global generation of girls and teens and young women who re respond and react to what she's singing about. It, and it's just there's no that you can't write it out and you can't figure it out and you can't game it. It's it's kismet. It's it's in the air. Well, it's gossamer. Maybe we'll get the next collection in about 30 years time when you have about 30 years or three decades to look back on something because it looks like you need that. All right. Anatomy of 55 more songs. The oral history of 55 hits that changed rock and roll, uh, rhythm and blues or R&B and soul. Uh, Mark, thank you so much indeed for talking with us. That book is out now. And as you say, you can leave it there and just dip into it every so often. And then it's there a month later and you're dipping in still. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. You got it. Joy to be with you. So here's one of the bona fide A Division classics in Mark's book, Get It On T-Rex. Dave Fanning on 2FM.